our ability to understand uh, customers is, is I think, going to also evolve and, and parallel to all of this because it's going to become even more important. The companies that do it well are going to be like massive uh, uh, differentiators against the ones that aren't. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, and today we've invited Dan Storms, Chief Product Officer at Cook Unity and co-founder of the New York Product Conference. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dan, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Janelle. I'm excited to be here. All right. So you're currently the Chief Product Officer at Cook Unity, but you've had an interesting path to get to this point. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey as well as what you're focused on today uh, as the CPO at, at Cook Unity? Yeah, sure. So, you know, in some ways, my career to product leadership is what sort of traditional path was, which, which is, you know, sort of old school Silicon Valley, which is like, I started as an engineer, studied computer science, and then did that for a while. And I kept asking people, why are we building these things? Like, why, why do we choose to build this? Like, who, what kind of impact is it going to make? Like, who is it for? That kind of stuff. And eventually people are like, okay, that thing you're doing is called product management. You should do that formally because you're better at that than engineering. Uh, so I, I, I kind of tucked into that after, after a bunch of years at JP Morgan uh, building risk management systems. Joined a startup, actually, that was in the first class of Techstars in, in New York. And so we went through that process and, you know, learned a ton going through Techstars and, and building the community here in New York and the network that I had there. From there, I, I joined a new product consulting company. I wanted to stay close to startups, but not have the immediate motion of a startup right away. Like I wasn't quite ready to dive back into startups. And so I joined this company called Originate and I launched the New York office for that. So I've sort of been really deep into the New York product community for a while here. And, um, uh, and as part of that, I, I actually worked for a guy who was was a former IDEO leader and uh, taught at the Stanford D School, and you know th- when you work with somebody like that, his name is Guthrie Dolan. He um, he like helped me completely up level my my understanding of of user uh, user empathy, user science, and that kind of thing, and and uh, really made a big difference in my kind of deep understanding and my progression from being more of an engineer on like how are we going to build the thing to what and why are we going to build, and that was great. So so really learned a ton there. From there, I wanted to work on a scale consumer product. I really had started to fall in love with consumer products. And, and so I joined The Knot, which um, has one of the bigger product organizations in New York City. And, um, and and that was a really great experience. Worked on a couple of bigger scale products, like the, the registry and wedding websites product have uh, 50% market share in the US. And that's that was like a really cool experience to, to see something where like you couldn't even possibly talk to all the users if you wanted to, right? Like you really had to combine the, the qualitative and quantitative. Um, and we launched the, the New York product conference while I was there, uh, which, I, which I can talk about a little bit later if we have time. But it um, that really helped us kind of think more deeply about helping people in the community here master the craft of product management. And then finally, um, worked at a couple other startups. And, and uh, as you said, in, in, uh, in June of last year, I joined Cook Unity and uh, as a CPO running product design and engineering. So decided to take on a slightly more broad role than, than than what I had been doing the past few years, and uh, and it's been great. And the, the, we're, we're growing, we're growing a lot, and so it's it's been a really exciting journey. 
Awesome. Yeah, that's a great, great story and background. I love how you've sort of made your way, like you said, starting in engineering and then uh, finding your way to the product side and really focusing more so on the consumer side of product and really building that deep understanding of customers and and building empathy as sort of a key to success along the way. You know, Cook Unity is is interesting. So when I just look up just a general definition of what it is, and I'm sure you can add much more color to this, uh, the first chef to consumer platform, uh, which connects a group of uh, chefs, talented chefs with eaters, food lovers to create an elevated at-home dining experience. So I would love if you could share with us a little bit about your business model, your customer base, and maybe even more topically how your business has been impacted by the pandemic. Um, My guess is that you've seen tremendous growth due to people looking to, you know, basically enhance their at-home experiences, but uh, I'm sure there's much more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so there's a lot there. I'll, um, I'll, I'll step into it from sort of how I started, which is I joined the company as a consultant in February of 2020. So if you remember back to that time, uh, just over a year ago, we were starting to understand that COVID was coming in, in the U.S., particularly in the East Coast here, uh, where I'm based. And, um, but we hadn't really internalized the, the true impacts of it, right? And that was really starting to happen in March and April. And what was so interesting about that is like once once that started being clear that the you know restaurants were going to shut down and everything, um, it was clear it was going to be a tailwind for for Cook Unity, um, which I'll describe in a, fully in a second. But it was also a tailwind for lots of other types of food delivery companies, right? And so it's one of these sort of rising tides for a period of time. So so what, what some companies could do is sort of get obsessed with that growth and like really try and push it as much as they could in that moment. Um, and, and what what the team did was that I was very impressed by and part of what made me join ultimately in June as full time was um, they really focused on what's the kind of core value that we're going to offer to our customers. And, and ultimately, if you think about this space, which is which is comp- incredibly competitive, right? Like DoorDash went public a few months ago as, as, as sort of one of the companies in this really big space of, you know, delivering food to your home, right? Uh, it's incredibly competitive. And so you really need some solution that is massively differentiated for our customers. And so what, what they focused on was, was how, how do we, what is our solution that is really truly like adding incredible amount of value uh, in comparison to the rest. And so ultimately uh, the, the sort of COVID tailwind, uh, I would say helped us accelerate that work, but um, we didn't focus on it as, as, a, um, as, as, a, as an area of like, oh, we're going to just try and grow for whatever sake, you know, as much as aggressively as possible because it, um, you know, you keep, we're, we're, we, we deliver food. And so you have to be, you have to be sustainable in that, uh, in that environment. Otherwise you can get big, big trouble as a lot of companies have shown in this space. Right. And so that's been one of the problems of the space. So I'll tell you about the model quickly. We, uh, you can think of it as a, as a managed marketplace rather than just connecting sort of almost any random chef that might want to make food. We have a community kitchen, uh, one based in Brooklyn. We just launched our LA kitchen and they come into the kitchen and we sort of bring all the ingredients. We order it in advance and help the chefs sort of have their place. They get to focus on their craft of just cooking delicious food. Um, and we directly connect with customers. And so in that way, we are a marketplace. We, we, our model from the consumer side is a, um, is a subscription. So you sign up for a weekly delivery subscription. And, and, and the thing that is really differentiated about us is that we are working with, directly with chefs. And so they're able to make incredibly high quality food. And so the food is genuinely delicious. Um, 
And it's like, I say that and you can only really believe it. So you try it. So hopefully people try it, but the, uh, and then our variety is, is, is way better. So for the people in the Northeast, um, we have, uh, you can pick from over 300 meals a week, um, which is like way, way, way more than any, you know, other service. And so more than, more than 10 X what's typical. Right. Um, and that combination has proved to really connect with customers in a way that, that they, they didn't know that they could get this kind of thing, really high quality food with, with such variety. And, uh, and it's really, it's really been great. So, you know, basically at the end of the day, as a customer, you have a bunch of fresh meals in your fridge. You can pull from during the week, just put them in the microwave or in the oven and, and have a, have a really delicious meal pretty quickly. And so the result of all of that has been over the last year, we've grown about five X, um, in the, in the New York, uh, area. So that's sort of, we covered the whole Northeast cause we can, can ship these meals as well. Uh, one day shipping. And, and like I said, we launched, uh, in California, uh, a few weeks back. So we're excited about that. And hopefully people in LA and San Francisco and Las Vegas, uh, we, we deliver in Nevada as well. We'll, we'll try us out. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about COVID is because we work directly with chefs, um, we're actually really supportive of the chef community. Whereas a lot of uh, sort of food delivery companies would be competitive. There's an interesting thing there. So there's a lot of our a lot of the, the we call them marquee chefs like uh, John George and Esther Choi and um, PRTM are working with us in complement to their existing restaurants. As their restaurants had trouble, they were able to shift some of their staff over to Cook Unity. And as we were growing, we were supporting them. And so now their restaurants are opening back up. Uh, they're, they're actually able to hire more people. And so they're, they're, the, the chefs that have worked up with us are on, are on average in a better place than they were pre-pandemic because they've kind of layered on this other thing that is, uh, that is really helpful for them. And so that's been really exciting for us because it's like, we, we, we really do deeply care about the chef community and, and we wanted to make sure that they were doing well. And we did a whole bunch of stuff to support them through this, even, even though we were relatively small startup when this started. Um, and we've been able to grow a bunch, but it's, it's been really rewarding to see them um, actually thrive in this really difficult environment. Yeah, it almost sounds like coming out of the pandemic, they almost have kind of two two streams, if you will, of things to or, or, or ways to sort of get their product out right like the regular restaurant and then through um your some service. of them have launched in la as well so now they have three streams and then when we launch the next kitchen all four and so it's like a, it's a it's a really meaningful growth opportunity for them yeah absolutely i'm excited that you service the whole northeast i was under the assumption it was just new york city so i'll have to check it out perhaps yeah, it won't you be deliver. Long to, it won't be you know it won't be long till we get the whole the all of the cover the all of the u.s that's that's our ambition for for Probably the end of the year, we'll see. But um, wow. it's um, it, it would be it would be really great, and that, that would unlock a lot of a lot of growth for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think you described it as you didn't call it a two sided marketplace. You called it something different. Oh yeah, I think of it as a managed marketplace. So, so I can say two sentences about that, which is like, yeah, you know, a, a traditional marketplace like eBay or even I don't know Craigslist or something is, is unmanaged, meaning like you know you kind of anybody's on there, they do a little bit to help you. But um, some other things like, I mean, even Airbnb has moved a little bit into this where they like went into the home in the beginning and took photos and, and they help ensure that, that the quality is, is pretty good. So, so, so like I said, rather than chefs sort of just cooking wherever or, or like DoorDash is a marketplace where people cook in their restaurant and they, they match up, we control the experience a lot more, right? Mm. And so we take orders in advance and we'll order all of the chicken together. So we get that economy of scale. Um, and we kind of help distribute it out to the chefs for their orders. And so the chefs control, like they're actually independent and they have their own businesses and they control what they 
create, but they, um, but, but we, we provide a lot of support and, and that model, um, has been, has been really super effective. So given you have that model and that marketplace, and you've got a couple of different end users, if you will, to accommodate for So you have obviously the customers, but then you have the chefs as well. So how do you work to best understand those, those two sets of customers, if you will? Take a few different approaches. So I'm, I'm I think I'll, I'll break down a kind of a couple approaches we had. I'll start with the, the customer side. And so when I joined the company, actually, I joined pre-Series A, they'd already hired a full-time user researcher, which was, for me as a product leader, was very exciting. So that meant that like, oh, they're getting it. That was one of the strong signals. They like get it. They don't have to like change the foundational culture, right? So founders that are out there, like, that's a good way to attract a good product leaders. <laughs> hire a uh, hire a user researcher first. Shortly after I joined, we brought on a head of design as well, who, who's, who's really good with this stuff. Her name is Nalina Sarma. And she's... Um, she's, she's kind of been one of the key leads for this. What we've, um, we've done is sort of layered on combination of qualitative and quantitative. And so, um, we, we do a decent amount of customer interviews. I think as a lot of companies that sort of ebbs and flows. And so one of our goals for the next quarter is to do more of that. And, uh, particularly the more senior people, we, we like to, to stay involved very deeply in, in that direct interviewing because it, it, you know, we can make connections that, People that don't have such a broad understanding of the business can uh, can can make as well, right? And then something that I think I'll, I'll I'll talk through quickly that might be useful for people is um is the way we approach surveys. And so we have a kind of really structured way around how we do surveys that I think is 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 has been really great. And so you can think of us as like we send a survey to our customers every two months, right? And so we rotate through three different types of surveys. So one is the the product market fit survey, which pop, was popularized, you know, in the past couple of years. Raul from Superhuman um, did a really nice job, kind of making that accessible and understandable for people. And so for us, that that gives us a signal of whether we're we're solving an important problem for our customers in a differentiated way. Your goal there is forty percent of the people say that they would be very disappointed if your service went away, and we've we've kind of consistently ranged in the thirty eight to forty percent. So we're we're happy about that. We'd like it to be like 50, 60, like it would be world, world, truly world class, right? And then we also use the MPS survey, which I, I listened to some of your old podcasts. I think there's been some some uh, some chatter about that um, in the past where, where people are like, I love it or I hate it or whatever. We, we, we use it kind of narrowly. Um, instead of just like general happiness, we use MPS as a way to say, is this a complementary signal to our referral program that says whether people will, are likely to refer? And so... Um, this last quarter, we, we that, that increased to 62, which for, for a consumer-style business is, is quite good and, um, um, and and correlated with an increase in our referral rate. So that sort of validated our uh, our assumption that we were using that in that way. Um, we have other ways of measuring happiness, which I can talk about later if we have time, but the um, those are a little bit more direct, like do people take these actions? And, and we believe that that signals happiness. And then, and then finally, maybe most interestingly, is the customer discovery survey. So we send that twice a year. It's a longer survey. I think it ranges from like 50 to 75 questions. And so it's like, it's pretty meaty, the, uh, the, the, but we, we get a pretty good response rate on it. And, um, and we ask a bunch of in-depth questions of things that we're particularly interested in learning about in those, in that kind of period. Right. And so a small example of that we learned recently is, is people would like more Mediterranean dishes. And so we, we, um, we started poking around how to do that. Some of our chefs can add on some dishes that are like that. And, uh, and we onboarded um, one of New York's best Israeli chefs, Enat Admini, who um, is, is, is some really great dishes that um, actually really resonated like right out of the gate. And so it was nice to have that validation in advance that people were looking for that. And we brought on a chef and we featured her and, um, and, and she was able to start selling uh, really, really successfully right away. That's, uh, that's been really cool. 
on the chef side, so you're asking about the two-sided marketplace, right? So all of that was was primarily focused on on consumers. On the chef side, um, we, you know, we don't have that many chefs, so like we don't have to do quite the same level of uh, of, um, of of like multifaceted uh, research. But we, we we have a close relationship with them and the community, and so um, we we work with them and sort of funnel feedback that that, that team that works with them closely gathers, and then um, we we have something we call the Chef OS, which is basically all the tools and processes that chefs need to like actually make the food together that that helps them uh, actually be effective. And, and we've been, we've been tuning that experience and, and what we want to do with that um, in, a, in a meaningful way. And that's a, that's a big area of investment for us, particularly as we grow and onboard more and more chefs. Yeah. I, I can imagine that the chef experience needs to be fairly streamlined and simple for them because that's sort of secondary to what they're doing, which is making food. <laughs> Right, exactly. We just we want them to be able to focus on that, and and yeah. uh, and that's um, that's that's been that's been pretty effective. And uh, we, we we you know like at scale, you really you got to do a lot there. We let them sort of read all the reviews, and, and pretty much all of our chefs read almost every one of our reviews that we get that our customers submit, and and they respond to many of them. And so that's that like direct connection. Like you can't really do that in a restaurant, right? You 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 go in there and maybe you say hello, like if you get lucky, uh, and and it's really passing, but it's like. You can't be like, oh, this specific dish, you know, I think had it would be a little bit better with a little bit less salt or something, right? Like the, the, our customers get to that level of feedback and the chefs read it and respond to it. And uh, and, and so, oh, that, so that cool. feedback loop is really, really neat. And, and, and something like this sort of type of system um, and, and marketplace is, is uniquely suited for that kind of thing. And that's one of the things we're so excited about. Yeah, I, I love that. It's like a level of feedback that maybe they don't have access to otherwise. Exactly. I really love the customer, the example that you use to around the customer discovery survey, like just identifying the need around more, or the need for more Mediterranean dishes and then actually yeah. adding those in and seeing the lift. I mean, that, that's, that's a great story. In addition to sort of feedback and using that to inform the experience for consumers and for chefs, there's also you know, this larger, or maybe just like another angle to look at it, which is about your market positioning. And mm -hmm. so can you tell us a little bit about how you've used customer understanding and customer feedback, maybe even chef feedback too, mm -hmm. to better inform, you know, how do you, how you go to market and how, how you position your offering to the market? Yeah. So this is an interesting area for me um, as, a, as a product leader, honestly, over the last I don't know, several years, I, I struggled with this a lot personally, because I was like, how do you understand what customers need, the value that you offer, create something differentiated, and then talk about that value in a way that like the whole company kind of consistently talks about and navigates around that, right? And and um, and it's it's incredibly hard, right? Like, because you don't want to, you want to be narrow enough that it's accessible for people, but not so narrow that they're, they're um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking a super niche area and that kind of thing. And so, um, I spent some time thinking about this, particularly when I was um, uh, I was consulting, I kind of consulted on and off. And, and so one of the cool things about consulting is you're to some, some extent selling the process, right? So you have to really <laughs> understand it if you can sell it, right? So the uh, so so I was able to you know kind of think about how to how you might package it up, if you will, and that's that's been that's been pretty effective. What, what we ended up doing in this space, I'll, I'll kind of map it out a little bit, but basically it was a combination of jobs to be done and. This uh, this approach that is really brilliantly articulated in a book called "Obviously Awesome" by April Dunford, which is focused on positioning. The um, while I'm certainly not a marketer, we just hired a chief marketing officer who's like way better at this stuff than me. It um, you know I'm good at understanding the value that we bring and, and why customers see 
see uh, see that value and what they need. And, and so we really try to start there, and then and then and then we'll be you know working with marketing to articulate that even better, right? And 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 even adjust it even better. So I think what I should do is is let me just talk through exactly what the approach is from from the book and and kind of how we follow it. So I'll, I'll race through that a little bit quickly here, which is first of all you have to kind of know where you are in this journey, right? And so when I think about startups in particular, uh, I, I tend to think about three main phases. So there's like this value phase where you've got some mission, you have some purpose for existing, right? And like, can you create something that's, that's fairly differentiated that has, that has meaningful value to, to a set of customers? And so you, 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 you need all of that to like get started basically, right? And, and, and ultimately you just want to, you want a bunch of customers and you want to, or a bunch of users or whatever it is that you're focused on really trying to trying to try out your experience. And then it said that some at some point you have like enough people using it, you can kind of like do proper research on it rather than sort of research on their needs, like research on how they're using using your solution. And um, that's where this obviously awesome book, uh, April Dunford's approach for positioning actually steps in, right? Like even in the book she says, if if you have nobody using your 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 solution, like you're too early for this book, right? And so that was helpful for me because a lot of times when um, when people talk about these kinds of things, it's like, oh, talk to your customers more, talk to people more, talk to users more, right? And and there's no details, there's no specifics around how you actually do that, and uh, and and so that that I think those specifics are really what what makes the difference between like doing it sort of a little bit and okay, and and actually having it make a big meaningful impact uh, in this phase, which I call the best fit customer phase. So you're really trying to understand and tune for the best fit customer. You know, we we started thinking, well. You know, we 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 make and deliver delicious food, but is it for people who are busy? Is it for people who love delicious food? Is it for people who are in families or are singles or um, what else? Right. And so we we started trying to figure this out, and um, ultimately it was like, okay, let's nail this and then replicate that. And so the next phase is the growth phase. How do we actually grow to the point where we we acquired a whole bunch of these people who are really good fit? So inside of the best fit customer phase, which is kind of where I'll focus here, I think is um, we, um, we, we wanted to really find a set of kind of questions we could ask. And we like the jobs to be done approach. Like you can read about it in the Competing Against Luck book by Clayton Christensen. So he popularized this, right? And um, the, the, the connection there to, to kind of foundational behavioral psychology is fantastic, right? Like really, like when you, when you read that and you're like, oh, a milkshake solves boredom. Like, it's not like about just drinking something, right? It's like, it has a specific solution to a specific problem, right? Like, that sounds great. But like, what do you actually do to find out that boredom is the thing that you're trying to tune around, right? Um, and ultimately, you're, you're it, for me, it was, it was really, it's just stayed really fuzzy. And, and um, the, 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 the jobs to be done approach, I think, is a great way of articulating. There's like a job spec. That's a great way of articulating the, the results of the research. And, and making it sort of understandable for people, right? But but actually getting from like, we think we wanna do something to like that job spec is quite difficult. Um, and, and what we did was we took the approach from Obviously Awesome. So I'll talk about that now. First, um, the way the way she describes it is you identify attributes of people that, that are sort of like, what, what she used the, the phrase, which I love is raving fans. So what are the, who are the people that are raving about this? And, and, you know, that might be, you know, customers that are sort of, have the long lifetime and spending the most, or, or it might be people that are telling their friends the most um, and different industries have different approaches of measuring this. And so there's no like specific, like, you know, follow these things. Right. And so as a consumer product, we focused on highest spend and people with the most referrals. And so we sort of said, okay, great. Let's take those two categories and make a list of the you know top 50 people that fit this criteria. 
And then from there, we lined up 45 minute, minute interviews with 15 of them. Um, and so I was sort of like, is that going to be enough? I don't know. And, and it ended up being a really good number for us. Um, and we didn't have to offer them that much. It was, we, we didn't end up offering um, between 25 and $50 of, of community credit. So like pretty modest uh, compensation for what ended up being a very important type of research for us. Right. And so this doesn't have to be like this gigantic effort. I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say is like, you, you, you don't have to cost a lot. It doesn't have to be a gigantic effort, but it needs to be uh, very precise and you need to like ask just the right question. So in the script, we focus on three main kind of areas that gave us the strongest signal. So first of all, we asked some segmenting questions, right? So I mentioned like how many people in the household before that kind of stuff and, and knowing, knowing sort of what we were talking about was helpful. Um, and then where, what was really super helpful was understanding the people's alternatives, right? And so we decided to approach that with if Cook Unity, like your next delivery, if it just didn't show up for some reason, I tried to like make it clear we weren't planning on that happening, but if it didn't show up for some reason, then what, what would you do? Like, what, what solution would you reach for? And, and ultimately what we learned here was people are kind of like cobbling together solutions. Um, so they might order takeout or, you know, maybe someone would be like, oh, well, I guess I would consider another service. But for the most part, people were, were, were just um, thinking about like, you know, I cook a little bit or I'd have some light meals or, or I'd get takeout or I'd get delivery. It's sort of like a, a, a big mishmash of different things. And so it was about what we would have expected, but it, it, um, it was helpful to know that. And then also, is there some particular goal you're working towards, right? And so that's the kind of classic jobs to be done approach. So some people talked about being healthier. A lot of people talked about um, about uh, being too busy and wanting to like achieve something else in their lives, right? Like, um, you know, they volunteer at the local theater or something, right? Like there's there's just there's a wide range of things that people are passionate about. And, and we're, 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 we're kind of trying to enable them to achieve those things or focus on those things, right? Um, and then finally, sort of what are the main ways that you're choosing and, and sort of why you're referring Cook Unity. And um, one of the big things that really helped us there was saying, you know, uh, I like to get really specific in these interviews. So it's like, think about the last person you told about Cook Unity. What did you say to them? And like that approach, people are like, oh yeah, it was like Joe who I walked the dog with and Joe's, you know, when I told him about it, it was like, I used these specific words and we were like, ah, oh, yeah, right. So that was really great. And ultimately, you can like funnel that directly into marketing, right? Like, this is what people say to each other that gets them to sign up, right? And, and, uh, but it was also really insightful for us to, to understand, like, you know, there's, there's a few dozen ways you could talk about this, this, this kind of experience that we have. And, and, uh, and, and we have, um, we, we had fairly consistent, people were saying fairly consistent things. So that was exciting for us. Um, the other interesting thing from this, this approach, so, you know, we, we talked to 15 different people. Um, Ultimately, only 12 of them actually ended up being what was a good fit. And, and that was really interesting how clear it was that the three were not like raving fans, right? They didn't fit this category we were looking for. Um, and, and, and some of them were basically just in it for the discounts. So they had a lot of referrals, not, not like crazy amounts, right? But like, it was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, they're like, they know what we do, but they're not like ordering super consistently and that kind of thing. But um, they, get, they get a discount because they refer um, and so we had like an interesting secondary learning, which is like, we need to like put a little bit more strict limits on our referral program so that people can't just like operate this way. Um, so, so that was, that was also useful, but not the primary objective. Um, all right. So, um, for, for me, this is, this is almost the most interesting part because, you know, you can, you can do a good job understanding what people say about your company or how they're thinking about it, that kind of thing. But like turning it into action is, is tends to be where I think a lot of these things fall over. Right. And so, really, really, really wanted to like put this energy in and turn it into action. And so first of all, what we did was we synthesized. And so that looked like a Google sheet with a bunch of criteria. 
and, and um, within the, the method that April describes and, and, and obviously awesome, um, I talk about her like we're like best friends. Like she doesn't know me, right? Like April, my buddy, right? Um, the, uh, so, but like, I read this book like nine times, right? So the, um, we, we mapped out their alternatives and, uh, and that was really interesting. And then you, you, you go through this approach of like, what are our, your unique attributes? What are the key benefits you enable for your customers? What's the, what's the value you bring to those benefits? And um, ultimately we learned that like, um, you know, we're, we really help people with this thing like easy, like we're, our food is easy because it's just like you, you, you get it pre-made and it's heated up and you heat it up. We believe that that wasn't truly differentiated because there are a lot of solutions that, that actually can, can enable easy. So it's sort of like a table stakes kind of thing we had to achieve, right? And then, but where we really felt we were differentiated was in high quality and variety. And so you heard me talk about that in the beginning, right? But it was from this research that we decided to focus on it. There were some other things on the list that we, we cared passionately about. So healthy, we want healthy food that's like fresh. And, uh, you know, we also uh, really care about sustainability. And so we have a lot of approaches like that where instead of using plastic trains, we use compostable fiber. Um, and, and that's like, and we try and use as minimal plastic as we can, that kind of thing. Um, our best fit customers did not talk about that. They didn't mention it to their friends when they talked about cooking and that kind of thing. And so, again, that we, we believe that that's important. We believe it's long run important. It's important value for us. But our customers are not, it's not resonating in the same way that they might uh, other services might might resonate, right? And so, um, so we decided to focus rather than like deprioritize or whatever. We were focusing on high quality food and and, and great variety. And so, through that, we um, we 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 put all this into the job spec blueprint. Um, and uh, Nalina, our head of design, who I mentioned before, kind of had this breakthrough where it was like, how are we going to describe our customer? And so she proposed a food lover who is busy and healthy-ish, and and that like. Really, so we led with the food lover, uh, and uh, and that, that was really useful. So now we say that phrase over and over and over inside the company. Like, how will how will they react to this, right? And um, um, and we, we haven't given them a name. We decided not to take that approach, um, but uh, but we we really like that. And um, ultimately, we you know we wanted to make sure that this was validated properly, right? Because um, what did I say? Twelve of the fifteen interviews were, were really useful, and that's not a huge sample size. And so we used our next customer discovery survey, which I talked about before, to actually send this out and validate it in a quantitative way. So we kind of turned all these statements into hypotheses and said, how might we validate them in a, in a proper way? Um, there were some refinements that came out of that, but for the most part, we were on the right track. So that felt really great, actually. And um, and from there, this is the real action, right? And so we presented this to the company. We started updating our marketing and product experience. Um, one example of, of a really particularly good outcome that came from this was when you sign up, for Cook Unity, you go through this experience where we ask you some of your initial sort of dietary or taste preferences. And, and so this is sort of counter to the classic, like sort of simplify the sign up experience and as narrow as possible to get as many people in. Um, and so we added some steps. Uh, I mean, of course we A-B tested it, but it, um, it, it what it let us do is tune the experience of the menu when you know we have so much great variety that like working through that is actually quite difficult, but if we can tune it a little bit based on some early signals that you give us, um, it, it, it can be much better. And so we ultimately saw a 50% lift in our conversion rate as a result of that change, right? And so you can kind of draw a straight line from the learnings that we had to this, this true outcome um, for, for our, our sign-up funnel. And, um, and also it's, it's better for customers, right? Because they've seeded the dietary preferences so we can kind of use that part in the experience uh, ongoing as, as they're signed up. Um, and then beyond that, we we um, uh, we raised our Series A in uh, and announced it in January, 
And, um, and part of that, plus sort of this messaging improvement that we had, we, um, we got some of our first notable press, um, which normally I wouldn't anchor around too much, but it, but it, there was, there was two articles in particular, one in the wall street journal, one in, um, in the New Yorker that really told the story well, right. Like of, of chefs and, and food lovers and, uh, you know, the, the wide variety of amazing chef made meals that we have. And so they, they told this story really well. And, and that was really exciting, brought in a lot of new customers for us who, who were a really good fit, right. It wasn't just sort of random press that, that was sort of broadcasted out. It was very specific and like really great storytelling around what we do. And, and, so it helped bring in a lot of really of our best fit customers. And so that's really the goal, right? And so, you know, I feel like we just started to scratch the surface here on, on, on this. Um, uh, and and, and we're, um, we've now got a much better, you know, improved marketing team that we'll work with to like make this even better. But as, as like a connection between the sort of, like I said, the value we offer to the way that we talk about that value, it ended up being really effective and, and, um, and for any, I would definitely recommend it that this kind of approach for anybody that's in this phase where they're trying to like say, oh, we got this big, broad, massive things that we're trying to figure out how to do. And we've got a broad set of customers that we want to, we want to focus on. And uh, particularly if you want to describe your customer experience or your, your, you know, your customer, what's resonating with your customers in more of a behavioral style rather than more of a demographic style, which I think is sort of the trend these days, right? The, um, that, that worked really well for us. So we're, you know, we, we think that we work well for families and for single people, right? As long as they love food, right? Like that's, that's what really works with them. And, um, and, and that's where we feel like we're able to like actually deliver real value. What a story. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I, uh, you know, and I, I think going back to what you shared in the beginning or sort of like, you know, yeah, everybody talks about how you need to listen to your customers and talk to customers, but that's so, that can be so, well, there's so many options, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, kind of having a little bit more of a framework to to do this work against is is really amazing. You know, and and these pillars around the value you provide, I'm sure it's driving product roadmap too, how you message and position yourself, um, all sort of underpinned by this really deep understanding that you've built around your core kind of value customer. Yeah, it's it's been super helpful. And and right, that's specific. So I wanted to try and share as many specifics as I could. Hopefully people stick with us through that story, but like the, 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 that's, that's where when I've, you know, I run a product conference and that that's where I, I really got value from people is when, when you hear those specifics and you go, oh, okay, those are the kinds of, you know, I can ask those very specific questions or I can synthesize in that very specific way. Cause otherwise it's sort of like, it's too general. And, and yeah, you're, you're, it's like, I've heard hundreds of different people say like, talk to customers more. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I including me, but like, what do I actually do? Right. <laughs> No, no, I get it. I get it. Um, one question I actually had about your approach. So you, you did all this qualitative work um, where you targeted the, you know, those top customers and the two kind of behaviors that you were looking at. You've created, you know, some hypotheses, and then you mentioned that you ran a survey to validate. What was your approach to that? Like, did you? I, I mean, I'm imagining what this would look like, but like, how did you go validate those hypotheses? Did you ask people to like, like rate their level of agreement with certain things or like, how'd you do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I'm trying to remember exactly what we phrase it. So, um, I mean, first of all, what we did was the, the job spec, right. Which is basically has this method that that you can read about in, in, um, in the, in the Clayton Christensen book. What we did was we said, we were asserting a bunch of things, but like, do we really know that those are true? Right. And so we kind of, we color coded them by like, 
how confident we were that they were sort of validated, right? And some of them, like, you know, we've been doing this, the business has been around for, for several years. So it's not like this isn't the first time we ever did research, right? Or, or ever understood our customers, right? So we had, had other data points we we're building on, upon. So some we said, these are more validated and these are less validated. And the ones that were important that were less validated, we, we added a couple of questions around. Um, and, and so it varied, it varied a lot. Um, the um, I'm trying to think of a good example. What, one of the ones that I particularly liked was why you picked Cook Unity, right? Or, or what, what, you know, why would you refer to a, a friend for a friend for us, right? Like, what would you say to them? Um, we asked people to like order sort of value ranking, right? And so I really like this approach where where you're you're putting, a, you know, you're basically putting in order five different choices or something like that, right? And and, um, and so the ones that are at the top, you want to you like see consistent one or two at the top. And so that validates that we've identified in our case, say, um, uh, variety and, and food quality are, are, are actually what's at the top versus what these couple of people happen to say, whereas sustainability would be consistently at the bottom, you know, despite our passion for it, right? Like it's a, it's a yeah. funny thing, but it, like customers, customer, this is customer led, right? So, so they have to, they have to, they have to guide us through that. And we try not to be too direct, right? Like, so you, there is some arts to this for sure, where you, you ask a question that is like sort of 80% in the right direction and then you make some inferences on it. Um, because it, it, um, it's really easy to be super leading with these things, right? And uh, and, and that that um, there's there's a whole science I think to that where where you're you're, you're writing really great survey questions, and so um, that's where you know we 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 have a full time researcher who's quite good at this, and somebody that's sort of consulting with us and mentoring us, and so we 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 did we did want to make sure we were doing this well because you know we were going to base a lot of business level decisions on the results of this right so so um we, we we took it a little bit more seriously than just like throwing it out the door and that was it's hard it's hard work to do that yeah. well right like it's, yeah. it takes a lot of really focused energy um and, and you have to actually have a good understanding of the foundational sort of science behind this stuff to to know how to phrase these things well right mm-hmm. like um and so like i've i don't know I don't think I'm in the hundreds of surveys that I've sent out, but I've like done many, right? Like, and, um, and so the, the, the more that you learn about how these things work and the more that you see the feedback and then you, 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 I'm sure you've experienced it, you know, like you send a question and it's kind of, you've read it kind of lazy and the feedback that you get is like really mixed and you're like, ah, like I totally screwed that one up. Right. So you, you don't, you don't make that less, they don't make the sort of mistake again. Right. So there is definitely like some practice to this. Yeah. Trial and error for sure. <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, another focus of yours professionally is uh, the annual New York product conference, which I had the pleasure of joining back in 2019 before the, the whole world changed. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you could do in-person conferences, remember those days? Right. Yeah. yeah. And you, the one in 2020 was remote and I don't know if you're planning the same for, for this year, but can you tell us a bit about that conference uh, who it's geared towards, which is probably fairly obvious, but maybe not, uh, and maybe how it's evolved or grown over time. Sure, yeah. I mean, we, so we, we call the conference the New York Product Conference, and um, and, and and that was kind of purposeful. Um, we, we, you know, a few of us were based in New York, and we we, we really wanted to build up the, the community here of, of product leaders and product thinkers. And that's not necessarily product managers, right? Like it could be designers, and we have engineers and um, salespeople that join and that kind of stuff. So it, it is it is it is pretty broad range. And we, as with any product, right? Like it's good to focus, right? So we think of our target audience primarily as senior product managers looking to break through to director. And so we're, we're not primarily focused on people that are brand new to product. And that's, I think one of the things that's been really interesting there is like, 
there is a lot out there for like, if you're brand new to products, like do all of these things, right. Or like take this course or whatever. Right. And, and um, what we saw was this transition from senior product manager to director was really hard, right? Like it, it, it takes, it takes a, um, it takes a lot of learning about how strategy works and like, how do you learn strategy? It's like, I don't know. It's a big mystery, frankly. Right. So the, how do you learn how to like influence people that are not your direct reports? Um, how do you learn to structure teams and create zones and squads and, um, and like, you know, do you have a, a do you have a dedicated mobile development team or do you have like mobile capabilities on other squads, that kind of stuff, right? Like these are, these are important sort of structural decisions that, that, um, part of people make or influence. Um, and, um, and, uh, and, and, and we didn't see a lot of people talking about the things at that level, right? It was a little bit more like in, in the, you know, in small groups, people were talking about it. So we wanted to try and surface these types of topics. Um, and, and we were, um, we found it really resonated with people. And so we're, we're, we've grown from like in the cafeteria at the knot <laughs> when the first, first uh, uh, conference was launched, which user testing was a sponsor of. So you've been with us from the very beginning for this, which I appreciate a lot. And, uh, and, and, and now um, there's four of us that run it. So Shanita Tulliver is the VP of product design at Metadata Solutions. Amy Stewart runs tech events at Cornell University. And so she really knows how to run these sort of these types of events quite well. Like she's an expert in this kind of thing. And Brent Charetsky uh, ran the product team at the Knot and um, is now the COO at Parsley Health. And so together we, we we run this conference, and it's also a meetup, so the New York product meetup. Actually, if, if anybody's interested, you can um, go into meetup and just search for NY product, and and, and we'll, we'll be one of the first ones that shows up. So um, the we, we do we do kind of like three or four meetups a year. We try not to do too many because we like to bring on like really, like really strong, capable people. And, and we focus most of our energy on the, on the conference because it's a big thing. Um, this year, uh, we're, we're starting, started, still trying to decide between uh, virtual or in-person or like the hybrid approach, which I think will get popular. It's really hard, um, uh, but it, it, um, it, I think it could be really interesting because we last year we had people from like 10 different countries join the New York product conference, right? Like that was really cool. We, we didn't even occur to us that that might be a thing, but of course there's lots of people who, who fit this in, in, in a much broader area. Um, the other, the last thing I'll mention about this is like something sort of foundationally that we really care about is, is also, uh, connecting with a diverse community of product people. So helping them understand and learn and grow, and then also surfacing the voices of more senior senior people who are not just straight white males, right? Like, and so uh, I think um, things have gotten better here, but like when we started the conference six years ago now, um, it was, it was, it was a lot of, like, if you thought about who's going to speak, right? Like you, you can, you could, most people would just make a list of, of, of straight white males. And, and that was um, something that we were not willing to accept. And we thought we could do better. Um, and, and we found, you know, and, and been, and been excited to, to, sort of surface a lot of really brilliant uh, thinkers and leaders um, across other range of industries, but who are, who, who are fairly diverse. And that's something we've, we've, we really committed to. And, and, um, uh, and so it, it ends up being a little bit of a flywheel because you get, you get more, a broader range of audience because you have a broader range of speakers and then you get broader range of speakers because they, they, they believe that you actually care about this and, and, um, and, and you're not just trying to reach out to them um, this one time because you have to or something, right? Like it, it's sort of really, genuine. Um, and it's something we actually do really deeply care about. And, and we'd love to see the next kind of broad pool of product leaders be a much more diverse group than, than, than we've traditionally had. And, and something we, we spend a lot of energy on and, and really try to, um, to make sure we're, we're supporting people in the right way.
Yeah, that's great. Being much more intentional about uh, those topics, you know, it's, it's great. You're starting to see that. All right, this has been this has been great. I want to move into um, our lightning question round. So these are meant to be fairly quick little question and answers. So uh, a recent book or a book you've read recently uh, that you'd recommend to listeners? Yeah, a book. Um, I would suggest one called Never Split the Difference. It's by Chris Voss. And um, basically this this one um, has been helpful for me. And so I've, I've, I would say I reread it recently. Um, I've read it before. And so I sort of validated it as helpful, which is um, it takes a, it's an approach on uh, negotiating, which is a very kind of empathetic approach. And so anybody who, who wants to negotiate better, I think should read it. But also if you want to do things like ask survey questions better, right? Like it's also, there's a lot of really good or do interviews better. There's a lot of really good tips in there. That, that are that are actually very universal. And so an example of that that has been very useful for me is um, if you're interviewing somebody or negotiating with somebody and we're trying to learn more, um, you you can ask open-ended questions and kind of like, oh yeah, you, people know to do that. But instead of asking why questions, which tend to land as very um, challenging and then people get defensive when they respond to why questions, you ask what and how type questions. And so like very immediately, and it was immediately I was able to put that into action. And like, I was like, Oh yeah, people are you know responding in this really open way that I didn't expect. Whereas if I asked a why question, they sort of closed off and and uh, and, and didn't respond as, as well. And so there's there's like dozens of tips like that that you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I didn't know this before, and it really makes a big difference. But it's also empathetic, which I appreciate, right? It wasn't like it's not like a poker game, uh, 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 you know, how to how to win, right? It's much more about like how to how to make sure both sides win in, in a very empathetic way. So for me, that was just like a really uh, a great insight into that, that, um, sort of black art. Totally. Yeah. It's funny. You're reminding me of some tips that I learned early on as a researcher in terms of how you ask certain follow-up questions after yeah. somebody says something and it like unlocks this whole new world that you, I mean, you knew was there, but like gives you this little magic power that you never had before. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think there's no shortages of maybe subpar or bad experiences that we all can reference, but I find really great experiences kind of few and far between. So um, what's a recent experience that you've had that you consider to be great and what made it so great? Yeah. What what all uh, comes to mind is is a company called Capsule, which does uh, local delivery of medications. And I've been a customer there for, for a number of years, but what was so interesting to me is like, the pandemic came along and, and um, they saw a huge demand and the growth in demand in their service. And it continued, the quality of the service continued just as it was. It's like super fast, really easy for me. Uh, and, and people, you know, show up on time and like, it's, it's great. So I was really super impressed by that. And um, they've been, they've been growing well. Uh, it's, a, it's a New York startup as well, actually. Um, and uh, they've, they've been growing nicely and, and, and just the overall sort of, level of detail, attention to detail that they have is, is really super impressive to me. You know, it's interesting. I've been hearing a lot of like health related experiences as um, because we ask this question a lot from our podcast guests and there's a common thread here around healthcare and health experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a big, big topic these days. Yeah, for sure. Um, and last one, when you think about the future of uh, let's call it customer-driven design and, and great experiences. You know what? What are you most excited about? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Definitely going to see a lot of innovation in the next few years, right? And and um, it goes in ebbs and flows. I think one that will really jump out that I'm personally very excited about is just this ability for companies that are at a pretty good scale to instead of 
sort of creating an experience that's kind of generic that works across a whole range of people feels really personal. And, um, and so it's a little bit maybe niche segments or just individual sort of personalized experiences, but I, I can really envision and get excited about a future where most of the products that you use feel super personalized for you. Um, and, and that's like really exciting. And, and, you know, 20 years ago or something that was a little bit of science fiction, but it, the changes in our, the way we understand patterns one, and then also layering on things like machine learning gives you the ability to do this in, in a meaningful way combined with scale, right? Like all those things have to come together. Right. And, uh, Spotify is an example where, you know, when discover weekly launched, it was like, Whoa, it's like, it knows me better than my significant other. And you're like, yeah, like that's, that's, that's really impressive. Um, and like, why don't we have that for most of the products we use? Right. Um, the, that, that, um, so I think we will see that a lot. And, and so in four or five years, you'll, you'll suddenly start feeling like, wow, like everything knows me that well, really that well. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping cooking is on that list, right. When it comes to food, right. That's our, that's our aspiration. And, and we think that our model works towards that. So I'd love to, I'd love to just see that in, in so many different areas. And, and I feel like it will make our lives better. Right. And that's, it'd be really nice to see that, uh, that, that be the aspiration for lots and lots of companies and, and actually the, the result that we get to. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's still this fine line between uh, personalization feeling really valuable, like your example of Spotify is one, versus one that just feels kind of creepy, I guess. I don't know if there's yeah, a better sure. way to put it, but or yeah. like maybe not very genuine. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that there's, you know, teetering between or teetering on that line. Um, I think it's those companies that really can uh, to me, it just goes back to really truly understanding your customer versus just following the data or maybe even following the, the wrong goals or objectives mm-hmm. versus really understanding and empathizing with who your customer is to make better decisions, to make those experiences feel yeah. quite genuine. And having the right company values that aligns with that as well, I think sure. is really important, right? So you, you you put all that together and you really care about um, being customer driven, you, you're you're um, you're able to start servicing these things and and, and identifying them, and it's, it's, those techniques are hard. I mean, that's what we've been talking about here, right? Like, it's this is that's another thing that will develop in the last in the next five or ten years. I think is like you, you know, Janelle is an expert in this kind of thing, know these techniques quite deeply, but a lot of people it takes a long time to learn them uh, and, and put them in use, and, and so our ability to understand uh, customers is, is I think going to also evolve and, and parallel to all of this because it's going to become even more important. The companies that do it well are going to be like massive uh, uh, differentiators against the ones that aren't. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Dan, thanks so much for, for joining us. This has been incredible. I uh, learned a ton in the last, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes and um, really appreciate your time and joining us today. It was really fun. Thank you so much. It's, I love talking about this stuff. So uh, I, um, I will continue listening to your podcast and, and uh, I'm excited for season two. It's pretty cool. All right. Awesome. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast, and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play, so you can never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.